This is Unbeaten. Thanks for tuning in. Great to have you listening. Live from Amherst, Massachusetts, in the basement of the Murray D. Lincoln Campus Center, broadcasting on WMUA 91.1 FM and online streaming. Today is Tuesday, October 16th. We have a great topic today, so let's get things started. Welcome back, everybody, into the studio. My name is Ryan Beaton. This is the Unbeaten Show here on WMUA 91.1 FM. Uh, I feel like we haven't talked really a whole lot about UMass athletics in a while, so I like to sort of uh, dive into hockey and basketball stuff. Hockey having played their first couple of games and basketball still in at least both men and women are in the preseason, or about to start the season soon, um, so we can go over men's basketball a little bit, and yeah, we'll recap Pocky's last two games, we'll preview their next couple of games against Ohio State, and if we have any time left, we'll talk about uh, anything else going on in the Boston sports universe, because there is a lot going on in there too. So, uh, with that being said, I guess we'll start with hockey. Hockey just uh, got done playing a home-and-home series against Rensselaer. So on Friday, they played at the Mullins Center in front of a pretty pretty large crowd. I think it was like 4,000 roughly. The Mullins usually holds like nine or 10,000. So, I mean, I'll just say right now that I think hockey probably has the best student fan following uh, on campus, obviously, football games probably draw a lot of uh, attendance simply because it's football. The stadium's bigger. Um, you know, the tailgate sort of foot traffic that you know some students, uh, you know, just wander in. Usually, I feel like football for some reason is more of a like legacy sport here. I feel like it's usually Pioneer Valley adults, people that, you know, are a little bit older, it seems like those are, that's, that, those make up the majority of the people at the football games, opposed to hockey, I feel like it's definitely a younger crowd, obviously still has some legacy following, but, you know, Friday was new mass night, um, it's a whole different program, they haven't really been this good in, the like recent years I know you know they've had some impressive players like Jonathan Quick and I think they were they were back when he was on the team and maybe like the late 2000s they were a good team but you know in the recent years they haven't been too good so the past this this Carvel era which and this is Carvel's third season now um, they've they've definitely started to turn the program around they have, I think, like a new following. Uh, the fans are showing up, which are like the students are showing up. There's a good amount of, you know, the, the fan section, the student section fills up really, really quickly. Just to hear that there were 4,000, I think there were like roughly four, four or 5,000 at the Vermont playoff game. So the opening series is, 
is awesome. I, I will say this about the UMass hockey fans. is They seem to have a sort of cult following the UMass hockey team because these these fans actually care about you know the the team that they're watching cuz i feel like the the kids that go and see basketball they may know you know Luan Wayne Pipkins they might know Carl Pierre and that's about it and they just go to the games because you know they're big Celtics fans or they like basketball with me personally i feel like this hockey team i was i'm not even a big hockey guy but i find myself sort of invested in the team just because of all the hype surrounding them the the young roster the talented players you have Kalen Mario and then you have I'm trying to think of the new kid's name he came in they have like still they added like nine more freshmen Ty Farmer uh, freshman defense they added Bobby Trevino freshman forward uh, there's a few other guys that uh, the Del Gazo brothers uh, were also freshman additions, I believe. And I think they have, uh, oh yeah, Colin Felix put up a couple points too. So, you know, if you thought they brought in a lot of freshmen last year, they brought in even more this year. A whole new turnaround in this sort of Carvel era. But yeah, sort of getting back on track here. They opened up against. Rensselaer uh, on Friday night, like I said, that was at the Mullins. Then they went to upstate New York, which I believe that's where Rensselaer is, uh, to play the second game, and that was on Saturday. Uh, the first game at the Mullins, they won 6-1. Second game, they won 3-1. So they open off, uh, they open off the season with a nice sweep of Rensselaer. And then uh, they this Friday and Saturday... They play two away games at Ohio State, number one Ohio State in the country, the best hockey program right now. And if I remember correctly, Ohio State came to UMass last year at the beginning of the season uh, for two games at the Mullins. So they have like a, a 2018, 2019 like back-to-back years, they have the home-and-home home series. And if I remember correctly, I believe they lost both of those games to Ohio State. I believe. Uh, however, I do remember they, they put up a pretty good fight, uh, both those games. Ohio State, a very talented hockey program. I think this gives you every means necessary to just sort of come back, redeem yourself, prove yourself against the best hockey team in the nation right now at this point I think stealing one I mean obviously stealing one game from the best team in the country would be a win and I think anyone's book uh, on the UMass side of things but you know I mean I just feel like this team's generating a lot of buzz and hype even on a national level I think uh, Barstool wrote an article about the young talent that runs through Amherst, sort of featuring Kale McCarr, uh, Bucigras, the college hockey guy at ESPN, always talks about UMass. I think he, you know, he was he tweeted a picture the other day of him wearing a UMass jersey, UMass hockey jersey, which is cool. So 
you know, the and you know, Kale is still on every sort of player to watch in college list. And he might even be the first or no, he's the second player, I believe, to be drafted top ten in the NHL and still return for a second year at college. So the Avalanche trusting in Carvel that they will develop and take care of him. And it sounds like if all goes well, he will be on his way to the pros after this year. So we got to enjoy, uh, as, as UMass hockey fans and analysts, at least one more year of just what should be a really exciting hockey season to watch. There will still be young kids on the team for years to come now that you know they're all the sort of young Carvel recruits making their way up but there's no telling how much longer Cal and Mario have here so definitely have to enjoy the time uh, that they are here for and then just sort of going down the list Merrimack will be after Ohio State a series against Merrimack Merrimack I don't think looks too strong this year New Hampshire's always sort of a team you got to watch out for. Providence will be very good again this year. I think UMass definitely won at least one game against Providence last year. Then you have Holy Cross, New Hampshire again, Princeton, UConn, Quinnipiac, Yale, UMass Lowell that was a powerhouse for uh, it was a powerhouse hockey team the last couple of years, sort of on a slight decline. Uh, American International, which they actually came to the Mullins last year, so we will be going, or the team will be going to AIC. Um, that this is now we're getting into the new year. Then another series uh, against Vermont Northeastern, which will always be a good hockey team, ranked number fifteen right now. A series against Maine, a series against uh, number eight ranked Boston University, one more game against UMass Lowell, two games against number 12 Boston College, another game against UConn, Providence, Merrimack, Maine, and UConn. So a lot of series in the beginning of the season, and then they sort of finish off by playing each individual team like one more time. Rigorous schedule, long schedule, goes all the way into March. March 8th is the last regular season game, and then that's not even counting playoffs and everything. So, you know, it's just what happens when you play in Hockey East. Such a competitive hockey division. I remember saying this last year, though, that I believe that UMass can make a run at pretty much any team in Hockey East as long as they keep up the power play, or not even the power play, the even strength success. I'll say the even strength success. The The minute they commit a penalty is where everything goes wrong for them. I think they weren't the best on the penalty kill. They got taken advantage of a little bit too much on the penalty kill. However, I will say even strength, I think that they are as good as any other team in Hockey East as long as they have the numbers they have the ability to move the puck around the boards, find those scoring opportunities. You can't discredit what Kale and Mario have done, sort of being offensive-minded defensemen. So, I mean, really expect 
a lot. I mean, there's already been a lot of goals this season, a lot of points to go around. Um, Kale, I believe, led the team in points one of the, uh, in one of those games against Rensselaer. So even though you know they are defensemen, they're very offensive-minded defensemen, always looking uh, for lanes, scoring opportunities, and sometimes even scoring the puck themselves. I remember, you know, we saw that that coast-to-coast -coast goal he scored uh, last year in the playoffs, I believe. So yeah, as, as talented as they are defensively. They have that same skill on the offense, and then even in transition, they're they're very quick, they're very uh, skilled handling the puck. So, just really all around players. The team is, you know, looking very competent this year, and I think the fans are excited to get out to the Mullins. So, that's about that's about all we have for hockey analysis. Sort of transitioning into UMass basketball. UMass men's basketball specifically, they still have a little bit of ways to go before the season starts. It, it'll it'll sneak up really fast. They lost a few players last year to NCAA eligibility, so they'll be getting, you know, it, I feel like last year they only played on like six scholarship players or something. Along those lines, they lost, you know, some some really key players to eligibility and I forget one guy had to retire I forget his name it's I'm drawing a blank on it right now but um yeah I think and and even having uh Rashawn Holloway back will just be a huge presence for them down low uh they clearly have the guard talent it'll be exciting because Pipkins really played off the ball his freshman year and then he, he kind of had to adjust just because of lack of depth, uh, lack of depth, and he ended up being a second teamer. Uh, he ended up really just filling that role to the best of his ability. So now it's it's almost it's almost a good thing that he was able to sort of branch out and and you know play a different style of game because it seems like it fits really well with this offense. He sort of found his niche in in uh, in the offense and. You know, if you've ever been to a game at the Moans, you can see that he's just so versatile, so all around. Can drive to the bucket. I think, I mean, obviously, I think he drives to the bucket the best, and then he can shoot when he want it, wants to. But the the most exciting thing is watching him dish it out to Carl Pierre and you know drain the threes. And I think the guards are uh, you know definitely the most talented end of this team. The forwards could definitely work on I think rebounding something they can work on I think having Rashawn Holloway back will be a huge add for them I'm gonna guess they added some more big man talent I haven't looked at the all of the additions completely McCall still doing a great job sort of running practices I was reading an article and I think it was the Daily Hampshire Gazette that said that the practices are getting really competitive McCall even having to step in and you know maybe put some water on on some some players that are you know getting kind of fiery and getting in each other's faces. I mean, it's kind of what you like to hear though because it makes you think that you know the players are competing for the positions they're they're going for and you can tell this will be a team that's most likely going to give you just 40 minutes of hustle. 
And as a coach, that's really all you can ask for because everybody on the team is there because of their talent. So really, you just want to dig deep and reach in everybody's potential, make sure everyone's, you know, working to the best of their ability. And I think McCall's definitely doing that. And from, from what I've heard through any articles and any buzz surrounding the team is that, you know, they're competitive. They want to they wanna win and they want to do better than what they put together last season. So all we can hope for is an upward trend in UMass basketball. And, yeah, so that's, that's all I really have to say about basketball, uh, UMass men's basketball. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll probably talk about miscellaneous Boston sports, uh, the professional ones. So keep it right here on WMUA 91.1 FM. This is WMUA Sports. Show your UMass pride everywhere you go with a UMass Amherst special license plate. All proceeds benefit student scholarships and programs, and the special plate fee is tax deductible. Get all the details and order your plate at umassalumni.com or call 800-456-UMASS. Remember to ride with UMass pride. Hi, this is Coolio. I have it, you have it, we all have it. It's called blood. And every three seconds, someone needs blood. Each year, four million people need blood transfusions. You can help by becoming a blood donor. It's fast, simple, and safe. One donation from you can save up to three lives. Be a lifesaver. Call 1-866-FROM-YOU. That's 1-866-376-6968. Toll free to find out where you can donate and save a life today. You're listening to UMass Athletics on WMUA Sports. Welcome back into the booth. It is a Tuesday morning here in Amherst, Massachusetts, or the Pioneer Valley if you're listening in surrounding areas. Um, if you catch, if you got the Red Sox game on Monday night, or excuse me, Sunday night, you were probably uncomfortable for the duration of the game. It was sort of a nail biter. You were wondering, you know, the offense was there. The offense provided that support. You were wondering if the bullpen was going to give it up. Price gave a solid five innings, I believe, four, four, five innings. Uh, he gave up like four runs, I think it was, and it's just, you know, you want to think, that, I mean, that's a decent start for Price at this point. I feel like a lot of a lot of people have been frustrated with him. Uh, they haven't been, you know, all, all too confident in his abilities, and he's just been sort of the classic Boston Red Sox player to sign one of those multi-million dollar deals and fall short in the sense that, his performance isn't where everyone thought it would be at, and it's slightly disappointing, and uh, this and that. But yeah, so I mean, we'll take what we can get with David Price, and then thankfully the bullpen did not give up an absurd amount of runs like they have in games prior. Even in game one, it sounds stupid to say, but game twos, it, it borders a must win, especially with the Astros. They're just too dangerous to let. Uh, go up 2 nothing. If any of you watched the division series from last year, you remember how just devastating that was to be a Red Sox fan. And I'm still, I'm still nervous to go back to Houston because 
you know, they're all that whole lineup is righties and that field just caters to their abilities, their power hitting abilities. That that sort of uh, left field porch that juts out is, you know, too many too many bad memories of just you know, the Astros going deep to left field and I feel like they, they pretty I mean, they definitely did. They they handed it to the Red Sox last year. Uh, especially the games that were played in Houston. So it makes you a little nervous to go back into foreign territory. I think this, uh, obviously, you know, the Sox will have to steal two to feel comfortable. Uh, going back to Fenway, you're going to want to, you know, just not. I mean, I, to be honest, it probably will go to game uh, seven games. That's my take on it. If If the series goes to six games, I'm going to give it to the Astros hands down if it does go seven games then who knows it could be anybody at that point but yeah no it'll be competitive these are the two best teams in baseball in my opinion and I think everyone else can agree on that the National League isn't as necessarily competitive you know I think the the Brewers have done a fantastic job of gaining momentum and staying hot um, and you know you have the Dodgers that just still have all that talent left over from last season and yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's kind of the the two the two hot teams that made the additions, and the two teams that played in the World Series last year. So, anything can happen. You know, at least for the Sox, the series is like we know tied at one one. At least for now, I think by the time this drops, there'll be an uh, there'll be a game three will be on tonight, uh, Tuesday night. I think at this point, teams look fairly even. Uh, I mean, with the Astros having a slight edge, I think. But at this point, any any take, I think, is, you know, we'll just sort of border speculation. It I think it really just comes down to, I think Game 3 will be a big, big sort of decider in who's going to win the series. I think whoever takes Game 3 will most likely win the series. I don't have a whole lot of other Red Sox stuff to go over. I guess I'll briefly just kind of talk about the Celtics. Celtics play also tonight against the 76ers. That should be an exciting game to watch. Sort of, uh, I mean, I remember last year being really excited to watch the the insanely the insanely talented roster that sort of starting roster that sort of really never was. Uh, with Hayward getting hurt within the first five minutes of the first quarter of Game One, now we'll get to, you know, see a see a little bit of a you know I think a lot of fans will have deja vu in. Let's just hope that everyone stays healthy for the first game, let alone the first five minutes. And yeah, I mean you can just hope for the team to stay healthy because when. You know that this is this is the starting five that everyone's been talking about for the past year and a half now. So you just hope that you know everything clicks. You hope that the chemistry's there. A lot of the bench players got playing time last year, so it's it'll be hard to see uh, sort of Terry Rozier slip into that sixth man role, and just any other players that really stepped up in the absence of this you know, once-in-a-lifetime starting five for the Celtics. They look really strong. Obviously, it's sort of Boston fans are in Stevens we trust. He's this sacred goat in 
in this town and really you just can't criticize anything he says or does. And I think the same goes for Danny Ainge. Fans have sort of entrusted both of them to just fully entrusted them to lead this team into a new direction. And I think fans have the confidence that the both of them know what they're doing, Ainge, in putting players on the floor and Stevens getting the necessary skill out of those players and drawing up the the plays that we know him to do so well. So that's all I really have to say about the Celtics. I did say before we left for break that I'd kind of be just going around the horn, Boston sports, uh, sort of transitioning into the Bruins. I've been watching a little bit more Bruins than I usually do. It was definitely hard to watch the first game against the Capitals. And you have to remember, the Capitals are still a very, very, very strong team. Very good chances of repeating. The talent is, you know, nobody nobody regressed in any way. Uh, they can still shoot the puck hard, move the puck around really well. So it was a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of a hit to their confidence. It's got to be a little bit of a hit to Rask's confidence. But... I think they've done a really good job at sort of bouncing back. They've won every game since. I think they play the Rangers Wednesday night as part of the the new Wednesday night hockey brand. Instead of they're rebranding it, it's no longer Wednesday night rivalry. It'll be Wednesday night hockey. And, uh, yeah, so they'll play the Rangers tomorrow night. Uh, I don't think they'll have too uh, hard of a problem winning that game either. Uh, So, yeah, they've sort of – they've. What, what seemed to be sort of an abysmal, doomed start, they've turned into, uh, you know, what what they wanted it to be. They, they've, they've sort of made the season into what they wanted. They took control. Uh, we've, we've seen two hat-tricks already, from, first one from Bergeron, second one from Pasternak. Pasternak's just, I think he, he sort of plays with a chip on his shoulder in the sense that he doesn't get the league-wide recognition that he should there's just so many talented young players right now in the league, uh, like you know Taylor Hall and uh, McDavid and uh, what have you. But you get the idea. He's just not. He doesn't get all the credit that he should be getting. He plays with this sort of chip on his shoulder, and you know the game against the Oilers. He probably you know whether it be through the media or through scouting reports, everyone's yada 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 this and that. Uh, McDavid is the fastest, and he's, you know, he could potentially be. He's arguably the best player in the in National Hockey League, and then you sort of just have Pasternak come in, probably not give too much attention to that, and he just went to work and did his own, did his thing, did his style of play, showed that he could be just as good as any other young player that's hyped up around the league. His handles are ridiculous. He's just, he's just, it's it's insane to sort of watch him. Not only can he, not only is he a one-time threat from, you know, the face-off circles. He, can, he had a goal the other night where he just ripped one top shelf, one-timer uh, from the face-off circle. But then he he's also, he drives to the, he drives to the, the net and he really just dekes everyone out. It's this incredible, and then it's like the last move. You, he fakes the goalie, and you know he's just doing such a good job at 
just harnessing his, his sort of stick handling ability, his stick handling skill. And it's exciting to watch. They make really cool highlights. You watch them in slow motion, and you just really see all the moving parts that, that go on in his sort of finesse-style play where he, he's going to the net, and he's not only fooling all the def- all the players that are clogging the you know clogging in front of the net he's fooling all the defensemen then he makes he makes the goalie look silly because he's you know he he pulls one last move and he he just he makes it look easy when when really you know that there's a lot more to it the bruins knew he would be talented from you know the second he stepped up uh into the into the big leagues so it's exciting uh for all boston sports really and that's pretty much all the time we have today Please follow us on Twitter at Unbeaten Show. Uh, you can subscribe on Apple uh, Podcast app and iTunes. Uh, you can listen to pretty much every episode we've ever done there. So go back and listen to old replays. And thanks for tuning in. Tune in next Tuesday at 11 for another episode of Unbeaten.